This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. The uh, the news today, uh, circums, uh, of course, around Donald Trump, around circles around Donald Trump, and uh, as it usually does. And as I mentioned in the commentary at eight ten this morning, are we really surprised by some of the stuff that comes out of this guy's mouth, and 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 the way that some people just seem to accept it and say, "Well, that's just Trump being Trump." Yesterday, uh, according to people that were briefed on a conversation, the Trump uh, questioned why countries would accept more immigration, including America, obviously. And this has to do with a decision he had made earlier in the week about uh, cutting off aid and funding for uh, refugees from certain countries, uh, where he referred to countries like Haiti and some African nations as shitholes. And by the way, if that word offends you, I apologize, and you should be offended by it, especially uh, when it's used by the President of the United States. Uh, a number of nations have actually responded to this right now. The president has all of a sudden come out this morning. This is hours after this story circulated and is now saying he didn't really say that. Uh, you can take that for what it's worth. Joining us to talk about this is Claire Finkelstein, Algeron Biddle Professor of Law and Professor of Philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. Uh, Claire, thank you so much for the time. It's good to get, to get back in the program to talk about this stuff. How are you this morning? Fine, thanks for having me. Uh, are you surprised by this? Uh, I'm not surprised by it. This is very consistent with remarks that the president has made at earlier meetings. There was a meeting in June in which he made very disparaging remarks about people from Nigeria. Uh, and this is very consistent with the race baiting and fueling immigration fears that the president has engaged in all along. Uh, it's a little bit more surprising that he is denying that he made those remarks, given the number of witnesses that were present. Uh, and uh, that, unfortunately, is also consistent with what he did regarding the June uh, meeting uh, and his remarks in that context. It, it's disturbing, to say the least, um, and maybe even alarming that he is still engaging in this kind of extreme uh, race-baiting and provocation uh, and then denying and, and trying to walk it back, presumably as his handlers get a hold on him. Well, there's a track record there, as you've mentioned, and I guess what we need to do, Claire, is put this in context, don't we? I mean, this is the same guy that wants to build a wall along the Mexican border. This is the guy that wanted to put a travel ban in place against what are predominantly Muslim countries, except those Muslim countries in which Trump is, does business. But, but I mean, the, the trend has already been set, hasn't it? Well, it has, and um, what's so disturbing about it is, of course, leadership trickles down. Whether the leadership is poor leadership or good leadership, the moral character of the president trickles down to his uh, cabinet, to the American people, uh, and to the world at large. And so what this does, what remarks like this do, is that they really bring out the racism and the xenophobia uh, of the rest of the country. Uh, it's infectious, and it uh, divides us deeply as a nation. Uh, so the moral character um, of the country is, and the tone of the country is, is in some ways still set by this president. And that's what's so disturbing about it. But he obviously is playing to his base in here. But and, and this was not a public statement. This is something that he reported in, in a meeting. But others have reported this as well. Uh, and, and the other element of this too, I guess, if you want to go into the characterization and the, and the track record here, Claire, is 
is the deniability of this. I mean, he simply says, I didn't do it. And you know that there are people out there who are simply going to say, well, he said he didn't say it, so I guess he didn't, no matter what the evidence may be to the contrary. And and what that really is is a form of gaslighting because he knows that it's really not deniable. Um, and I uh, fault his administration and his handlers as much as himself for that, which is a style of uh, leadership which throws a kind of pixie dust of confusion over uh, the president's remarks and the administration's handling of things, uh, knowing that at the very least, some people will come out saying, gee, we really don't know what happened here. Uh, This wasn't a tweet. This wasn't on the record. And so, you know, we'll just sort of suspend uh, disbelief at the moment. Uh, That kind of obfuscation is very, um, another example of very poor leadership style, rather than speaking with clarity and with integrity about his position. The deniability or his denying of this this morning on Twitter, uh, I guess you have to juxtapose against the comments made by White House individuals yesterday that did not deny this. And and they, they and they, in other words, he's, he's really throwing those people under the bus by coming out on Twitter today and suggesting that he didn't actually use that language. Well, that's right. And um, I, I think, in fact, when they deny this, uh, when he denies this, he knows full well that um, people will actually not fully believe the denial, but but that the mind will sort of fog over in confusion, and uh, and then it'll just sort of pass down the way other states of confusion have, and people will move on to the next. In this regard, I think we really have to fault the Republican leadership as well, because um, they sat through these remarks, they heard these remarks, and they came out of that meeting and they didn't denounce it. They didn't say anything. Uh, And neither did Dick Durbin, for that matter. So I think we have to be concerned, uh, not just about Donald Trump's leadership, but also the leadership of our elected representatives who are not speaking out with sufficient clarity when they encounter remarks like this. The irony here, of course, is uh, this is the anniversary of that, that horrific uh, er, and devastating earthquake in Haiti that uh, cost about 700,000 lives. That we can only estimate that because uh, the, the body count there is just uh, too drastic to, to actually uh, be a, an accurate number. And so many people were simply died and, and buried in that and have, have never been found, obviously. Uh, and that goes on. But but your point's well taken. I mean, when you've got people like Marco Rubio and others who who are direct descendants of people from that area, uh, I'm I'm surprised there's no outrage about this from uh, from congressional leaders. Well, there have been a number of remarks this morning, but the congressional leaders who were present at that meeting did not, uh, to my knowledge, respond. Uh, and once again, we have Dick Durbin there as the only Democrat, uh, to my knowledge, in the room, and he made no remarks about this. Now, I understand that it may seem more explosive uh, to have, you know, the only Democrat speak out. It looks as though... Um, uh, he is, you know, trying to use this um, to score points. But nevertheless, uh, to just sort of let it pass by doesn't seem like a good option either. Uh, and so I think that um, for people who actually witnessed this to to remain silent in the face of comments like that really encourages the president to make remarks like that again if he feels that there's any mileage that he gains from it. 
Claire, at what point did we lower the bar on expectations for for public officials? And and, and Trump certainly is obviously the the classic example of this. But you've already articulated a number of examples uh, in in Trump's campaigning for the presidency and and ultimately, of course, his ascendancy to the White House about comments that he's made. And and you know there was the the birther issue with Obama that had no substantial evidence, none of it, no evidence at all, of course. But I mean, he still he kept that going and put wind in those sails constantly. Uh, the remarks he's made about uh, about Latinos, the mar- remarks he's made about about Muslims uh, during the campaign. Uh, obviously, there was the, the the tape that surfaced about uh, how he treated women, grabbed them by the well, you know the words that were used. Uh, in in bygone days, Claire, as as we know, any one of those things would have sunk an individual's uh, p- political ambitions. Yet he seems to get a pass on all of this stuff. Well, what's particularly concerning to me is it's not just that he gets a pass. Uh, but that um, very possibly he was elected in part because he was willing to utter such vulgarities. There appears to be some kind of attraction to um, the plain speaking, as people may see it, nature of this president. The fact that he's willing to utter vulgarities, that he's willing to make racist comments, maybe that people are thinking and not uttering. Um, So I think it's not in spite of these comments, uh, but to a certain segment of the population because. Now, what a contrast with President Obama, who was uh, not only uh, always appropriate in his public remarks, but really eloquent uh, in the words that he chose to use, uh, who could speak off the cuff and emerge with elegant sentences that were uh, to a great extent, healing uh, in times of crisis. Uh, and there may have been a sense uh, among some of the population that he was just too educated, too rarefied, um, and didn't speak to them directly. But that's a sad commentary on the sort of level of eloquence that we um, have come to no longer value uh, among public officials. It's it's a, it is a sad commentary that all of a sudden eloquence and education always seems to be a detriment in public life. One wonders about that, and and that's again I keep coming back to this concept of leadership, because partly what we we ought to be able to rely on our public officials to speak in a way that grabs people, that grabs their attention without doing it by race-baiting, shocking them, disturbing them, and provoking them. It ought to grab them because they feel uh, that the public leaders are setting a moral example, a moral example that they can admire. And I think those people who are are favorable to Donald Trump because of his plain speaking, uh, nevertheless, we can't say that they are likely to see him as, a, as an admirable moral leader. Uh, so it's rather playing to the basis part of themselves rather than the, um, you know, the, the part that can idealize and can respect people because of their moral leadership. But this is a nation uh, that, uh, that, that prides itself in, in its history, and, and it prides itself in the great leaders and the character of those leaders. The, you know, the, 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 the George uh, Washingtons, the Abraham Lincolns, the Thomas Jeffersons, the Alex- Hamilton. I mean, the list goes on and on. FDR, you mentioned, uh, you know, JFK's elegance and, and eloquence, and, uh, and down the list it goes. Uh, yet all of a sudden we just seem to have gone to the polar opposite now, and that seems to be the new norm. 
Well, it's interesting because, of course, there is a um, lower bar for people to enter politics. It used to be, of course, that you had to be highly educated in order to enter politics, even if you came like Lincoln from fairly humble beginnings. Uh, still, he was a highly educated, erudite man, uh, albeit self-taught. Um, so in some sense, this is the downside of the upside, which is that public leadership can more easily come from anywhere, including those who don't have the kind of educational um, credentials that public leaders have had in the past. The downside is, of course, that they will, uh, they will use the kind of more vulgar tactics uh, and attract uh, voters by doing so. Uh, to your point about Dick Durbin, uh, just uh, as uh, I'm looking at the Twitter feed as you and I are talking here, Claire, uh, Senator Durbin is now uh, denied Trump's denial and saying it's not true. He did say those hateful things and he said them repeatedly. So Durbin is now on the record. It took him a little while, though, didn't it? Well, that's right. And uh, it's good that he spoke out. It's important that those who witnessed these events actually make clear what they heard. Uh, and again, I think this is really a form of gaslighting on the part of the president. It's designed to cause confusion. It's designed to leave people wondering uh, what's going on and um, and really sort of designed to cause people to doubt their own senses when they hear what's coming out of his mouth. It's extraordinary that that has become such a feature of public life under this administration. It's in, invariably uh, shocking to us, I guess, when we do this, but it had a, it initiated a conversation in our newsroom this morning, Claire, when, when we saw these comments. And, and I was recalling uh, back in the mid-1990s when David Duke, who at that time was the, the head of the, the Ku Klux Klan, uh, was making noises about actually taking a run at the presidency during the Clinton administration. And, and we were shocked. And I remember having discussions at the time with the uh, congressional leaders down in the States. We had them on our program. And they said, look, there's no way that the United States would ever elect a, a, a racist and a white supremacist. And 20 years later, it kind of looks like they have. It looks as though we have. And uh, I think anyone who thinks, well, you know, he's just using race baiting. He's just appealing to racism in order to gain political advantage really misses the point, which is that someone who is willing to appeal to those instincts in people is actually racist. Uh, and that is not just a, a tactic or a maneuver, uh, that the willingness to stoop to that uh, kind of tactic, even if it is an intentionally adopted uh, tactic uh, to, to curry favor with voters and with a, a very right-wing base, um, that expresses the uh, the moral sentiment and the commitments of that individual. So I think we do know quite clearly now after the remarks in, about Charlottesville uh, and uh, this kind of remark, really where the president stands. And immigration is often really code for uh, racist sentiments. So when people uh, start banging this gong about immigration, and we know this throughout history and we know this across the world, uh, that it really is code for uh, for racism. So when the president made the remark, uh, you know, not only that, uh, why are we bringing people from, uh, you know, Haiti and African nations, they should come from Norway. We know what he's talking about is the whitewashing of America, that he wants America to be white. And uh, it is you know, every time the president makes remarks about immigration here, race 
in your mind, because that's what he's really talking about. Well, in just a couple of days, he's scheduled to uh, sign the proclamation for Martin Luther King Day, and there's a certain incongruity to that, isn't there? Claire, we have to run. Thank you, as always, for the perspective on this. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Professor Claire Finkelstein uh, from uh, University of Pennsylvania Law School. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Well, a uh, protest is uh, being organized right now against uh, one of the more prominent landlords in the city, that being the Efforts Trust Group. Uh, It's going to take place today on King William Street. Mike Wood joins us uh, uh, from ACORN. This is an agency uh, that uh, we've talked with before about tenants' rights and and about some of the concerns of those uh, who are using rental properties. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you, Bill. Let's uh, maybe get a little background here on exactly what's going on. Now, you've been on the program uh, in the past talking about some of the other buildings here in town and, and the, the deplorable condition uh, in which some people are living. Uh, I'm getting the sense from the, the press release that you gave us on this issue today uh, that you finally, finally had some time to go back to your own place and look around, and, and you're not very impressed with what you see. No, definitely not. Uh, it's You know, when I moved in here, it's, uh, there was a lot of lack of maintenance uh, issues and uh, cleanliness uh, repairs. Uh, you make a request for them out as you're supposed to by tenant and you fill them in and you send them in. There's been tenants that have had to fill out four or five of them in, the, in a in a five-month period just to try and get something fixed. And it's it's like you're trying to battle just to ask something for something to be fixed, uh, you know, when something breaks down. Uh, we've had uh, quite a few issues here where the superintendent has actually verbally harassed um, myself and as well as quite a few other tenants calling us out in the hallway, screaming, swearing at the tenants. Uh, the whole list goes on with intimidation and harassment. Um, you know, they've been made aware of this since last June, and it just seems to be like they're going slow on it. Now they're trying to say that they're going to, you know, get rid of the superintendent. And they said we were going to have a great Christmas and that he was going to be gone before Christmas. So, um, in fact, he didn't even, you know, they didn't get rid of him, and we ended up having him harass some tenants as we were having a tent association in my apartment. Um, tenants uh, came here, and as they were leaving, he was standing in the lobby asking questions. Why are you having this meeting? What are you talking about? Uh, the whole list goes on. Um, back in the summer when he got into an argument with me, yelling and screaming at me, I asked him to stop yelling and screaming. He wouldn't listen. And then it went on to, he challenged me and said, well, show me the work orders that you filled out. And I said, I will go to your boss and show them to him. And when I showed them the the copies of the maintenance forms for a whole entire year of holes in the walls since I moved in here, there was holes in the walls, um, a lot of different things wrong, glass stuck on the floor, you know, and it took them over a year to repair all this and fix it. Uh, this was just one of the major issues. And then... Well, let's not, let's talk about some of those. I'm kind of getting the sense, though, from Mike, from what you're saying, that this is almost like a personnel issue as opposed to a structural issue. Is that an accurate description? Well, there's there's kind of both. There's uh, there's there's um, there's issues within some of the apartments when it comes to repairs. There's also issues on the outside of the building. The um, walls, the concrete walls, are falling apart on the outside of the building, and the rebar that enforces the walls is exposed. Um, they've known about this for a long time, and this 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 is an older building, then. Yes, 
Yeah. Well, of course, yeah, that, that, and that kind of goes without saying, isn't it? Because I don't think they've built new apartment buildings around here for years. It doesn't seem that way anyway. But, uh, but so, so you, your t- job, and, and for those that maybe have not been uh, rental uh, tenants for the longest time, I think maybe at some point in our lives, all of us have probably done that at one time or another. Uh, the process is if there's something wrong with, uh, with your apartment or with the building itself, uh, you actually pretty much have to go through, uh, not the head office, of course, but you've got to go and talk to the, to the person who's in charge of that particular property. That's correct. You fill out the maintenance form accordingly, and then they're supposed to um, act on it and fix whatever the issues are, and it turns out that they don't get done. And I've had to go over to the Effort Trust office several times, fill out complaints on the superintendent for the verbal harassment. And and what do they um, tell you when you get there? They tell me that uh, to stop coming into the office, stop complaining, uh, just stay home, call the area manager, wait for him to call back, and I've done that. And then there's been several times where he hasn't gotten back for a week and a half or two weeks on the issue you leave on his answer machine. And and then he's you know, apologizes that he's busy and... Um, he comes through the side door of the building instead of through the lobby to avoid tenants uh, complaining to him, and he's just quickly in and out of the building and gone before anybody can have a chance to say much. So uh, it just it leads down to, you know, he called the area manager called me yesterday morning at 8.30 in the morning. Apparently they caught wind that we're having this tenant action, and he asked me, why am I doing this? Um, you know, he, he thought that I guess I wasn't going to do uh, t- a tenant action. He thought that everything was okay, and I said, "No, not everything is okay." And I've I've said I've said this many times to you, um, but you know things seem to be ignored. Um, so they've had a, co- a cleaning company come in on Wednesday and clean our building thoroughly because they heard about this tenant action. They're trying to cover it up and make make it seem like as if nothing's wrong. And then they had the super out there yesterday cleaning, but there was garbage left in the hallways for the last six days. Um, there was. We had two fires in the last two weeks in the garbage chute area. Um, the first time the f- we had the first fire, the, the alarms didn't go off. The fire department showed up, and they had to pull the fire bell station. The super was running around with a bucket of water trying to put the fire out instead of calling 911 and, uh, you know, hitting the pole station. So the system failed us for the alarm system, and then they had the company here trying to fix it for the next two days. Then we had a second fire, and the system actually detected the fire went off. All right, this this so. is, this is all pretty serious stuff that you're talking about, and and I guess the thing that's that's maybe surprising to some of our listeners as, as you're describing some of this stuff, Mike, is is you're dealing here with the uh, with Effort Trust, and 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 that's it's a very reputable company. I mean, they've been in business here for a very long time. They they own an awful lot of properties around here. Uh, and it's, uh, I guess, a little surprising to many uh, listeners to suggest that, well, these guys aren't doing a very good job. I know it's an older building, but m- my understanding, and I haven't talked to Effort Trust about this since uh, we heard about this story today, is that, uh, is, you know, invariably buildings have work schedules. In other words, okay, we know the, uh, the exterior needs work. Uh, that's going to be done this year or next year or whatever. You know, they, they, they have an inventory, right, like any other company does. Have they given you any indication at all that, yeah, this is on our, our, our radar, we are going to do this, we just haven't gotten around to it yet, or are they just simply denying that it's their responsibility? Well, I mentioned that they say that they don't own the building. They say they manage it, but uh, they are aware of it. They've been made aware of it, and they've taken pictures of it out front. Uh, so who does the own the building? Uh, I'm not sure. I've tried to ask them that question, but they won't uh, They won't usually give you too much information on that. Uh, they kind of keep it uh, hidden. Like, they got Effort Trust's name all over the building um, on the signs and everything else, so you don't know really who the owner is. Have you talked to your city councilor about this stuff? 
yes, and I've uh, I I did put a a request through, and we did look into some things, uh, trying to find out who the owner is. But even even with Effort uh, Trust, they got their name all over any private paperwork where it says that they're they're the management company. They it almost like as if they do own it. So I don't know if uh, if it's what what the truth is if they own it or they manage it, but. The issue comes down to also um, a tenant had to call the fire inspector in not long ago before the fire started um, saying that she had no smoke detector. And then there was uh, other tenants saying that they had no batteries or, or missing smoke detectors. Yeah, so. but on, on that on that point about ownership, though, Mike, I mean, that shouldn't be that difficult to find out. I mean, uh, you're right downtown. I would imagine that's Councillor Farr, isn't it? No, it's uh, Matthew Green. Oh, Matthew Green. Okay, you're that far. Okay, in that, that area of the downtown. All right. Uh, I mean, all they really need to do is check the tax rolls and find out who's paying the taxes on that building. I mean, that's usually the owner. Right. You can go to, uh, there is freedom of information out yeah. there you can check into. But like, And, and like obviously there's a responsibility there. And, and, and I mean, I, I would suggest that, you know, for you and your, your fellow residents that are having concerns like this, is that maybe the better avenue to follow? I mean, because uh, when we heard your story, uh, it, it reminded us of some other incidents that happened in other parts of town. I know that uh, years ago, uh, in the far west end, there was some problems with uh, some some pretty lousy uh, superintendents and, and building owners at that time that were turning off the heat and doing a number of different things. This is down around Melvin Avenue, and uh, that was Council Marula's area, and he was very proactive and going after those people, and uh, and it made a lot of headlines. I mean, he came on the you know, radio, he talked to everybody about this, and uh, made some improvements. I don't think it was ever perfect, but it got a lot better. Have Have you decided to 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 go political about this? Yeah, we we have reached out with Massey Green's office. He has sent uh, some inspectors down. Um, we, we originally we had an and and what down. do they see when when the city and these these are city inspectors then that have gone out and said, okay, we're going to have a look at this ourselves. Um, when the inspectors come out, usually they don't have time to knock door to door, so they'll hang a little hanger on a door, and they'll say, well, you know, call us if you need us. Um, and then they check other apartments if people let them in. It all, that also depends on if somebody's letting them in or not. But, uh, uh, you know, they'll check. They'll, 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 they'll come to do an inspection. But um, we've, we, we ran into this with another property we did a protest for, and they kind of just missed a lot of things that were reported to them. And... Uh, they didn't have the time. I showed an inspector at another building some issues, and he says, you know, are we going to get to where we're supposed to be because I only got five more minutes and then we got to leave. So it seems like they don't have enough time at the property standards to dedicate into taking care of uh, big places like apartment buildings. Uh, they're kind of slow with it. So, uh, you know, that's my experience with them in, in the past. And um, I also had an inspector in here just after New Year's Day where they came in and inspected the temperature of my apartment, and they found it 17 Celsius. It was going down to 52 Fahrenheit throughout the night uh, for three weeks. I filled in a maintenance form, complained about it, and then they left me sitting for an entire week and not checking and fixing anything. So the inspectors enforced them on January 2nd to um, do something with the heat. And as soon as they did get the heat up and working, um, turning the heat up or whatever it was, then the the heat went back down after the inspectors left. So it's almost like as if they're, you know, I don't know if it's being controlled or what what's going on, but a lot of people in here in the winter time are freezing, running three or four heaters in their units. So what are you going to do about this? Day? You're you're going to have a rally today, correct? Yes. Yeah, we're going to have a rally today, and then we're going to 
over to the Effort Trust office and we're going to deliver a letter for the CEO for them to look over these issues and and try to make this building a, a better place because we got some tenants in here that have lived here for 30, 40 years and uh, they've been here for a very, very long time and, you know, they've they said it's, they, they've seen the, the conditions recently has been worse than they've ever seen in this building before uh, due, to, due to just how they're managing it. So, uh, you know they gotta they gotta pick up things and they gotta they gotta do things much better. Around how far how far up the ladder have you gone with Effort Trust? I mean, you've gone over to the building. Who have you talked to over there? I mean, I, I mean, this uh, you know the, the Wise family is. I don't know if Mister Wise is there. I don't even. But I mean, there's this uh, again a reputation here, which I know that they would love to protect. I mean, I you know as to say these guys have been going in, in these these sorts of endeavors in this business for a long, long time right now. I'm kind of surprised that you're getting stonewalled here. Well, when I went to the office to request to speak to somebody higher up than the area manager, I was told that I can't do that, that I have to go straight to the area manager and make him aware of everything, which he has been. And uh, we've had a switch of area managers recently in the last four months, but the other area manager knew about it even for a long time of what was going on here and things just got ignored. So when you go in the office and you request to speak to somebody higher up, they kind of try to keep you down and speak to the area manager and then things just don't seem to get better. And then I've called the boss of the area manager, and he says, well, you can't call me. you got to call him. And it's a back-and-forth game, and, you know, I, I you, you don't seem to get anywhere with it. They just want to keep pushing you back. And the secretaries will say, well, there are, the area managers are out on the field right now checking out our building. So usually they're not in the office until the afternoon sometimes. So, you know, but when you phone the area manager and you leave your address and your complaint on the answer machine and they don't get back to you for a week and a half, two weeks, how are you going to deal with a situation that needs to be dealt with? So you formed a tenant union, which uh, I uh, assume includes most, if if not all, of the members uh, of the residents of that building? Right. Yeah, we had a tenants association, uh, un- tenants union meeting, sorry, um, and uh, 16 tenants uh, showed up. We got some fear in the building. Some people are saying that they don't want to say anything because they're afraid that they're going to get evicted or uh, you know, there's intimidation, like I said, there's intimidation there. So, that, you know, some of them are not wanting to speak up, but we got some others that do want to speak up about the conditions of the building. But again, like I said, they were out there trying to clean the building for the past two days, trying to, it almost like they, they, they knew about the whole thing because they called and told me about it. So now they're trying to, you know, hide it and clean it. Like when we had the fire in the building, we had six bags of garbage piled up in the hallway that was sitting there for seven days. And they, nobody cleaned it. Nobody took the garbage bags out, and it came out of the laundry room from the pails overfilling onto the floor because the super uh, doesn't like to do very much when it comes to cleaning. Well, it's uh, going to be interesting to see just how Effort Trust responds to this uh, now that the story is out. Uh, I know you've done some pretty good work advocating on behalf of other tenants in different parts of the city, Mike, uh, you and uh, and other members of ACORN, uh, to try to improve the uh, the living standards for an awful lot. And we can only hope that uh, it will resonate with uh, the folks with uh, your particular building and your location as well. Uh, good luck going forward on this, and we'll stay in touch. I appreciate the time today. Definitely. I thank you so much. Take care. Mike Wood from uh, ACORN uh, with a beef about, uh, well, their building uh, and their management group, uh, Effort Trust. A little surprised, though, that there isn't more political activity about this. I guess, well, depending on what's going on and what city inspectors have done. But uh, it's a story that I know that would resonate with an awful lot of people in various parts of the city. 
uh, uh, seem to have problems from time to time with uh, landlord-tenant uh, rights and some of the back and forth that goes on in some of those situations. The, it is an older stock. I mean, that is part of the problem. Uh, we we don't build apartment buildings. Uh, it just doesn't seem to be. I, I know a few of them have gone up, but not to the same degree that they used to years and years ago. And a number of uh, locations right around the city are in pretty bad shape these days, and it's going to take a ton of money. I mean, there's a whole row of them on uh, on Mohawk Road uh, in the Central Mountain, uh, I guess from about not Upper James uh, all the way over to uh, Gage, I guess. I, th- I guess even beyond that now, that I think of it. And most of those were built back in the 50s and 1960s, and they are in pretty rough shape. Some of them have been reclad, uh, but not all of them. And, uh, and I know that there's some pretty miserable living conditions in some of those places. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on this uh, development and see what happens. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We have an election coming up here in the province of Ontario the uh, first week of June. Uh, And I've talked to an awful lot of disenchanted voters, a lot of disenchanted voters uh, in in this province. And invariably they say, you know what, I I don't like any of them. I don't like any of the parties. I don't like Kathleen Wynne. I don't like Andrea Horvath. I don't like Patrick Brown. I don't like the Green Party. I'm just not going to vote. Well, we want everybody to vote. True democracy, we need to get voter participation. But there are options if you don't want to mark an X beside one of those names. Uh, you may not know that if you go to the Elections Ontario website, at least uh, if you'd had in recent times anyway, which has prompted the uh, the folks at Democracy Watch to do something about it. Duff Conacher is the co-founder of Democracy Watch, also an adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa, and he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about what your options may be. How are you doing this morning, Duff? Good morning. Good to have you with us again. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. And uh, when you look at some of the numbers, and, and I hear this anecdotally every time we have an election, whether it's municipal, provincial, or federal, a number of people just say, you know what, I just can't be bothered because I don't like any of them. But that doesn't mean they can't vote, does it? No, it doesn't. We have the right in Ontario, uh, as in three other provinces, to do what's called declining your ballot, which means that you go to the polling station, you're handed your ballot, and you hand it back. And it's counted separately from a uh, spoiled ballot. And if enough people did this, it would certainly send a strong message to the parties that people are engaged, they're interested, they're not staying at home, but they just don't support any of the party's platforms for whatever reason. Well, and, and therein lies the problem. If, in fact, uh, with that discontent that a voter may have, uh, they're not sending a message by not going at all because we have no idea why they're not going. Exactly. And if you go and spoil your ballot then nobody knows whether you just don't know how to mark an X properly or whether you actually wrote something on the ballot, like I support none of you. So this option is there for that reason. Uh, You don't have to stay at home. You can go out and have your voice heard. Unfortunately, not as directly as uh, it should be. Um, The best thing would be is if you could actually, on your ballot, mark a box that said none of the above. And DeMarcus Watch is calling on that to be added to the ballot, along with a bit of space below that, that would um, allow you to just not write an essay, but just write a couple of quick points that Elections Canada would, or Elections Ontario would report out, and then the parties would know why these people had voted none of the above. Why don't we have that option? I don't know. Um, the decline your ballot was added back in, in uh, 74, so it's been there for more than 40 years. And the parties, it's, you know, it's in their interest uh, to know why people would not be voting for them. And so they should they should do that. Um, probably a bit too late unless they quickly passed a bill when they came back uh, after this break and uh, uh, directed Elections Ontario to print ballots this way. Elections Ontario has just put out a call for the contract to print the ballots. 
so they'd have to do it very quickly for it to apply to this election. But it's all in the interest of increasing voter turnout. And, and why not have a mechanism for giving parties feedback about why someone's voting none of the above? You mentioned this has actually been in play for about 40 years right now. And now the Internet hasn't been around that long. But has Elections Ontario done a good enough job of uh, informing the public about what their opportunities are? Never. And uh, that's why Democracy Watch is threatened, threatening to take them to court right now. Um, and uh, they quickly, when we sent them a letter on, on Monday saying, we want this added to your website and also added to the ads, the advertising that Elections Ontario is going to do during the election, uh, this message that you have this option to decline your ballot, uh, they quickly added uh, on three pages of their website uh, mention of declining your ballot, which hadn't been there before. We've written letters to uh, Greg Asenza, the chief electoral officer, in 2011 and in 2014, and he just refused to do anything to inform voters about this right, which is negligent and illegal, because he's allowed to do uh, uh, any kind of public information and use the website or advertising or whatever he wants to try to educate voters. Uh, but you can't do that and just educate voters about part of their rights. You have to educate them about all of their rights. So finally, on Monday, they made some changes, uh, added it to a few pages. But if it's not in their advertising, you know, they're going to spend more than $4 million on advertising to voters. And if it just says, here's how to vote, and doesn't say, or decline your vote, then it's misleading. It's only, uh, it's only informing voters of part of their rights. And so um, you're, that's why we're calling on him to do this. And if he doesn't commit to including it in the ads, then we'll take him to court and, and try and get a court to order him to do so. Because, uh, I mean, in past, and I, I'm just doing this off memory, obviously, I mean, any commercials we've seen, and including a run on this radio station, I, they invariably just say, we encourage you to go and vote. And if the response is, well, I don't want to vote for any of those guys, uh, then they haven't done their job properly because they're not encouraging people to go to the polling station. They're simply saying, go to vote. Well, I don't want to vote. So, But this is an option for them to to actually make a, a statement about what they're concerned about and, and what they may be feeling about the political environment in this province. That's right, and that's why um, I believe it's illegal for Elections Ontario. Uh, they, they have the option to do voter information um, campaigns, uh, but it says uh, about the rights, your rights as voters. So when they exercise that option, which they do with their advertising and their website, then DeMarc Watch's position is that they have to inform voters of all their rights, not just part of their rights. So we'll see what the response is from Elections, Canada, or from Elections Ontario. We just sent the letter to Greg Asenza, the Chief Electoral Officer of Ontario, on Monday. Uh, they changed the website within a few hours. There's still a pamphlet up there that is distributed to school boards across the province for them to hand out to uh, uh, students who are just about to turn 18 and will be able to vote. And that pamphlet, the wording of it actually says, the only time that you successfully vote is when you go and choose a candidate, which is a lie. It's just, it's not true. You can successfully vote by declining your ballot. So um, hopefully they'll correct that pamphlet before they send it out to school boards leading up to this election across the province. It's, right now it's incorrect and misleading on their website, as are about a dozen other documents that fail to mention the right to decline your, your vote. And Elections Ontario says on its website, you know, we're aimed at making things accessible and having an impartial management of the elections. They're not being impartial. They're favoring the parties by saying that the only way you vote successfully is if you actually choose one of the candidates on the ballot. And, and so hopefully they will become impartial and actually inform people of all their, 
the rights, including this right to, to, to vote none of the above, which has existed for more than 40 years. But most people have no idea that they have this right because of Elections Ontario's negligence. Is it part of the mandate of Elections Ontario to try to increase uh, voter turnout? No, but to have accessibility, and uh, their mission is to run things impartially, and uh, they're not doing it impartially when they tell people that you only vote successfully if you vote for a candidate, because that's not, it's simply not true. You have a right to also have your vote counted by declining to vote for any candidate by voting in effect none of the above. So, um, as I said, they made these few moves on Monday on the website, and we're waiting to hear from them about whether they'll correct the other dozen documents that are currently misleading on the website about what your rights are as a voter, and also whether they will uh, include in their election advertising mention that you have to, uh, that you have this right. In, in 2014, uh, voter turnout for declining your ballot went up by 1,282%. Twelve times more people voted, uh, declined their ballot in 2014 compared to 2011. Voter turnout only went up 3% from 2011 to 2014 and was the second lowest voter turnout ever in the history of Ontario. So um, if they really want to encourage people to come out to the ballot box, not telling them how to vote, but just telling them here are your rights as a voter and exercise them as you wish, they have to inform people about this right. You're one of the few organizations that actually talks about alternatives like this, and that's why I'm so glad you, that you guys are being proactive on this. I mean, after every election, Duff, for as long as I've been doing this, which is on 40-odd years now, uh, the day after the election, and I know it's going to happen on the 8th of June this year, the day after the provincial election, we're probably going to do a segment about low voter turnout, and isn't it miserable, and isn't it it's deflating that not everybody comes out here and, and expresses their views about how they want this province governed? Uh, you'd think that somebody would be at, uh, having a discussion about trying to bring that number up. And, and we've talked about it in abstract terms about, you know, making it mandatory or offering fines for people that don't vote or, you know, enhancements like they do in some countries uh, for people that do cast their ballots. N none of that stuff is going to happen. Uh, yet the, the people that we do elect aren't even having this discussion right now. I, I'm almost getting to the point where I'm starting to think they're pretty happy with low voter turnout because as long as they get back in office, that's all they're really looking for. Oh, that's right. They, they actually, all the parties only want their core voters to vote for them. Exactly. Plus a few others that they try to swing their way. They don't care if, if voter turnout is 20% as long as they get a plurality of it and, and end up in power. And, and Elections Ontario's advertising, beyond failing to mention declining your ballot, has also sent the wrong messages. Like one time they, they, the message was in their ads, if you don't vote, someone else will represent you. Well, when you vote, someone else represents you. So it's not a compelling reason. We're also calling Elections Ontario to include in their advertising the two real compelling reasons to vote. One is, if you don't vote, you don't count. Politicians, of course, say they care about everybody, but they really only care about the ones that either decide whether they stay in power or lose power. And those are the people who vote. Um, and then the second one is, you never know when your vote may count, which is true. You know, people say there's safe ridings until there, suddenly it isn't a safe riding, and it's swung, and there's a different party in power. You never can tell what's going to happen because you don't know what other voters are going to do. Pollsters have been shown to be doing very bad polls, especially these Internet polls that, where people self-select. Those are not statistically valid. They never should be reported by anyone in the media. And pollsters have had a lot of difficulty um, in recent years, especially because they can't usually reach people with cell phones, 
and those are young people, and you don't know what they're going to do because they're often first-time voters. So no one knows what other voters are going to do. You never know when your vote will count, and you don't count if you don't vote. And that's, that's what the ads should say. Um, and, and we'll see what ele- whether Elections Ontario also does that uh, because that will encourage voter turnout. Uh, and then um, we'll, we'll, we'll see uh, as well whether it's a really competitive campaign because that also makes a difference in voter turnout. But uh, all these things that Elections Ontario could be doing and hasn't done, including informing people of the right to vote, none of the above, uh, we'll see whether they do it. And if they don't, Democracy Watch will be off to court to uh, try and get a court order to force them to educate voters about all of their rights, not just some of their rights. And this may well be the only way this is going to happen, is through legal uh, actions such as what you're talking about at well, this we'll stage. See. We'll see. We, we, well, I it's was... not going to happen politically, is it, Duff? Certainly not. Because uh, let's face it, the elected officials who, who could possibly pass legislation to try to encourage this aren't going to do that because they're in a conflict of interest because they're only, as you mentioned earlier, their only opportunity. They don't want to put a none of the above on a ballot because they want you to vote for them. Yes. And it's quite amazing, I haven't looked at the history, that they added the right to decline your ballot uh, back in 2014. And, and that's been done by politicians in three other provinces as well. I'm not sure why that happened, but um, because it wasn't in their interest. Because, you know, if a million people come out and vote none of the above, that's not going to send a great message uh, in terms of the legitimacy of any of the parties to uh, be in power in governing the province. But it is there, and Elections Ontario made a few moves, uh, adding uh, the information on their website, and we'll see what they, whether they'll actually do the advertising that, to inform people of this right. Uh, and I think it will change the outcome of the election. Uh, you, I think you'll see many, many people come out uh, who don't support any of the party's platforms. And sometimes it's just the case that uh, they don't support any of the main parties. They support a smaller party that doesn't have a candidate in their election. And that's another reason why that option is there, because you may not support the main parties, and a small party that you do support may only have a few candidates in the election, not in your riding, and then you can still go out and say, vote for none of the above that are on the ballot in your riding. So, you know, some people say this is a waste of a vote. It's not. If you don't support a par- any of the parties' platforms or any of the candidates in your riding, then why sh- why is it a waste to go out and give that message that you don't support any of them? That's a very potent message to give them. We just don't have enough discussion about about electoral reform, and I know that that's a, a phrase that bothers an awful lot of people. We talk about, for instance, a different methodology for voting. You know, first past the post is terrible, and we're going to try this, and uh, rank balloting, and we've gone there, and, and invariably those uh, get shoved off to the side, as they did on the federal scene, of course, just yeah. after the last federal election. But we don't talk about actually encouraging it, and I know that there are other jurisdictions that are, uh, uh, well, let's voice it, a little more open-minded about this. I mean, you know, I know in California, for instance, there are write-in ballots. If you don't like who's on the ballot, you can write in Duff Conagher and vote for Duff if you want. Yes. Uh, you know, Tom Selleck, the actor, made that quite clear during the last presidential election, said he didn't like either one of them. He voted for, I forget the name, of, uh, I guess it was the Dallas Sheriff, uh, who became a, a public figure, obviously, after the, the thing that happened down there with the shootings last year. Uh, but th- you can do that. Uh, we're so restrictive up here. It's no wonder people get frustrated and say, I don't even want to be part of the process now. Indeed. And when you add on top of that the fact that no one's required to be honest in politics, they can bait you with false promises. When you have the weakness in the ethics rules, as we're seeing at the federal level, uh, with uh, Minister Morneau being let off the hook uh, for uh, taking part and making decisions uh, while owning shares in a company that deals with the government, and Prime Minister Trudeau found guilty, but no penalty. 
And those loopholes and lack of penalties exist across the country in the ethics rules. When you have the, the rampant secrecy that's allowed by laws that are actually called freedom of information laws, but they're actually guides to keeping uh, information secret from the public that the public has a right to know, you add all those things up and, and people say, why would I vote? You know, this candidate may be honest, but the system allows everyone to be dishonest, unethical, and secretive and wasteful. And you know, why would I be casting a ballot for someone who, especially when they're not promising to clean it up? So uh, we need uh, options for people to come out and express uh, that they don't support any of the candidates or parties. And uh, it would be great if none of the above was on the ballot, but at least in Ontario you do have the right to decline your ballot, and hopefully Elections Ontario will do its job properly and inform uh, voters that they have this right. Well, and therein lies the problem with the current system, because you know whoever does win and gets elected and takes power in situations, invariably will use the phrase, well, I have a mandate from the people. Well, the numbers indicate most of the time they don't. No, no, indeed. Um, they were down at, uh, it was less than 25% actual voter support in the, uh, after the 2014 election, the Ontario Liberals, um, because you had only had 52% voter turnout. And um, when you took, take that into account and the actual vote support they had, uh, I think it was. I think they were actually at 19% actual voter support. That's not very legitimate uh, as a government in terms of then making decisions that are imposed on everybody in the province. So uh, we need to have these options, and uh, changing the voting system would help as well if it w- was more proportional and people's votes counted more equally in terms of who gets elected. That would increase voter turnout, an honesty in politics law, cleaning up the ethics rules, and, and the transparency rules and making them stronger and more effective would also help. And, uh, and then having none of the above on the ballot would also help. And I think if we had those things, you would see voter turnout go back up to the levels that it was at um, before, um, frankly, people uh, started to learn a lot of the details of what governments were, were doing. Um, you know, there was lots, even worse secrecy in the past, and people trusted government because they didn't really know what was going on. And when when the laws were somewhat strengthened, so people started to find out what was really going on, that's when you started to see voter turnout drop, and it's just continued to drop over the last uh, 40 years across the Western world, really, um, because because transparency started to increase about 40 years ago across the developed uh, industrialized countries. And once people learned the truth, they were like, why would I vote for these people? Um, all they're doing is lying to me about what they're going to do and then secretly wasting my money. Um, so that's why you've seen voter turnout drop, and that's why all those changes would be needed to really get voter turnout up. Just uh, to finish out the conversation, though, uh, the way we began this, uh, we need to remind uh, everyone that you guys are on the clock here, too, because the election is nigh, and uh, pretty soon Elections Ontario is going to start printing stuff or publishing stuff. Uh, so if they're going to make changes, uh, this is the time to do it. Duff, yep. we'll stay in touch, uh, and hopefully you're going to get a positive response to this. Thanks so much for this Indeed. today. Yes, yeah, so I will be doing another news release when we hear from Elections Ontario and letting people know whether we're off to court or not. So I will let you know and keep you updated. Look forward to that conversation. Thanks again. Thanks for the interest, Bill. Duff Conagher, co-founder of Democracy Watch. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.